Today we're finishing up this series about trial, error, and better living and looking at the life of King David, right? King David's this guy who has some great qualities. He's able to bring the people of Israel together. He's able to usher in a time of peace, but to get there, he is going to make some massive mistakes in life. He is going to do things that are destructive. He will give in to violence and causing others pain. Revenge will be an option for him. And yet God still keeps calling to him. God still keeps saying, Hey, David, there's a different way. Let's go. And so today we're finishing up with looking at something that David wanted to accomplish. He wanted, and generally when he wants something, he gets it. And so he wants to build the temple and yet his reality is going to be different. And so as we're thinking about how we try, how we fail, and how we are living better, David really gives us a sense of understanding our realities, where we are, what we want, and how we begin to choose and make and shape a different reality. And so for today, we're actually going to skip through a couple of parts. We're going to be in uh, 2 Samuel, we're going to be in Kings, we're going to be in Chronicles, and we're going to finish up with Isaiah to really get a sense of what is going on here, what the reality is. So beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. When the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you are thinking, because the Lord is with you. So David, in this moment, he's got it pretty easy. He's living comfortable up in the palace. He's like, okay, everybody's peaceful right now. I got nothing else to do. What could I do? You know what? Let me build a temple. And at first it sounds like, okay, well, not a big deal. Even Nathan's like, oh my goodness, thank goodness. David actually wants to do something good instead of, hey, I'm going to go off to war. I'm going to cause pain and suffering. I'm going to make some really, really bad decisions. And Nathan's probably like, finally, something good. But David's intentions here are a little bit questionable because it almost seems like David's gotten to a comfortable spot and now he's thinking, okay, now I can keep up with everybody else because it was often the case that the nations around as they gained in riches that they would build these temples to God to show their power, their might, how great they are. And so here David's like, yeah, okay, I'm ready to show off. I'm ready to show everybody how great I am. And so Nathan's like, well, at least you're not causing anybody else pain. Right in this moment, David's showing us something about the reality that he kind of wants, that he's trying to make. He's like, okay, I'm going to show that God is with me. I'm going to have this real presence of God. And so it brings into that question of what is the reality that we want? What are we working towards? What are we making decisions for? 
Is it really connected to God? Is it about keeping up with the Joneses? Is it about maneuvering and just getting comfortable? What is the reality that we are constructing that is connected to God or not? Continuing on. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. But that very night... The Lord's word came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and tell him, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build the temple for me to live in. In fact, I've lived in a temple from the day I brought Israel. I haven't lived in a temple from the day I brought Israel out of Egypt until now. Instead, I have been traveling around in a tent and in a dwelling throughout my traveling around with the Israelites. Did I ever... Did I ever ask any of Israel's tribal leaders I appointed to shepherd my people, why haven't you built me a cedar temple? So, you know, Nathan, he's like, okay, David, go ahead. And then God shows up. God shows up to Nathan and is like, hold up here. I think we have a misunderstanding of who I am, who I am with the people, who I am to David, who and how I work in this world. I have been present. Because it's important to remember that the temple is the concrete presence of God. It's like this concrete example of saying, okay, God is with us. How do I know God is with us? Okay, well, we've got this temple. We can point to that and say God is here. It gives us a sense. It gives a concrete foundational example. And God's like, well, I've been with you all the whole time. I've been traveling around. I've been living in a tent. I don't need anything extraordinary. I am with you. But David doesn't seem to understand who I am, how I work. And so, mm, David's not going to get to build the temple. David doesn't get to engage in this project. And we have to understand it that there's becoming a distinction here. There's, there's something spe specific about David and why David can't build it, but also about who God is. And that there's this disconnect because as David's going, you know, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. Um, everything's good. I mean, yeah, I've, I've done all this destruction and I've made these really bad choices and I've caused a lot of people pain and I tend to only do what I want to do and go into this series of revenge. But hey, now I want to show that God is with us. And God's like, whoa, hold up. There are going to be consequences for your actions. God has kept calling to David. God is still present with David. David still doesn't understand really who God is or how God's at work or what God's been calling him to do. Instead, David's got this different reality going on. David is maneuvering in ways that God's like, hold up just a second. And so for ourselves, when we're thinking about that, when we're thinking about the decisions that we make, the choices that we're going through, the, the life that we are trying to build, what are those choices adding up to? Are those choices ever connected to God? Or 
you know, God's really the afterthought. You know, as soon as I get comfortable, as soon as I'm less busy, as soon as fill in the blank, then, then maybe I, I'll, I'll get a little time. I'll try to figure out this whole God thing. Maybe then. And God's like, ooh, hold up, hold up. Now, fast forwarding in David's life to 1 Chronicles 22, 6 through 10. David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had intended to build a temple for the name of the Lord, my God. But the Lord told me, you've shed much blood and waged great wars. You won't build a temple for my name because you've spilled so much blood on the ground before me. A son has just been born to you. He'll be a man of peace and I'll give him peace with all his surrounding enemies. In fact, his name will be Solomon and I'll give Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He will be the one to build a temple for my name. He'll become my son and I'll become his father and I'll establish his royal throne over Israel forever. So we are fast forwarding to almost the end of David's life. And David has had this child, Solomon. He's actually had this child with Bathsheba. And Solomon is going to be the next king. And what's interesting here is by this time, as we fast forward many years, David has all of a sudden become kind of self-aware. And it may be due to all the consequences that he has suffered since the previous passage we read. In fact, David has suffered mightily, especially once that situation with Bathsheba, once he kills Uriah the Hittite. David's family, his personal life is going to crumble. It is going to fall apart. His children are going to fight amongst each other. His children are going to hate each other. His children are going to kill one another. His children are going to try to overthrow him. His reality, because of the choices he made, because he spilled so much blood, because he was about revenge, he was about only what he wanted without a care in the world about what anybody else wanted. Because of the choices he made, no matter how small they were, they began to add up, and they made this reality where he had experienced a lot of pain. And so in that, he now, he now has become self-aware, and he's like, I can't build it. God says, I can't build it. I've spilled too much blood. I've caused too much pain. I've caused too much destruction. And so to realize that, no, God hasn't left him, but David still has to live with the consequences of his actions. But it doesn't stop David from trying to create and help, to help Solomon create a different reality, to learn from David. David is going to teach Solomon, don't do what I do, kid. Don't do what I did because guess what? I spilled too much blood and now I can't build a place that is connected to God because God's presence can't be connected to blood and destruction and pain and suffering inflicted on one another. The temple, the presence of God is not to be associated with the things that I did. And so Solomon, you've got to learn. Solomon, you can be that king of peace. You can choose a different path. And what's 
crazy is Solomon does. Solomon absolutely is going to choose a very different path from his father. And he's going to start out at the very beginning. Little choices here. He's going to choose to search out wisdom. He's going to choose to be diplomatic, to try to work things out, to try to negotiate things with people who he or his father had seen as enemies. Instead of going to war, instead of waging pain, Solomon is going to say, hey, how can we work this out? And so this period of time is going to be one of significant peace. In fact, it is such a significant time of peace that it is believed that this is the time period that there's enough peace that scholarship becomes the period of time where they are going to actually create the Hebrew language into written form. They're going to take it from the verbal into the written because they have enough time, enough peace to do it. Solomon is going to make different choices. So he doesn't have to create the reality. He doesn't have to live into what his father did. He doesn't have to hold on to the past. But he gets to pick something new. And there are times, right, where we feel like we have no control over the reality. And there are times, right, there are things we can't control. We cannot control COVID. We can't control somebody else's actions. We cannot control what somebody does to us. But that doesn't give us a pass. And it doesn't give Solomon a pass. Solomon doesn't get a pass. You know what? Your father screwed up. You're going to keep screwing up. That's all you're ever worth. Nothing good can ever come from. No. There's a sense here. Solomon has a choice, and his choices can result in a reality where he gets to build a temple that is associated with peace, that God's presence is associated with peace, and that Solomon gets to highlight that, not just for himself, but for the people, for everyone around him. And to think about that, to think about the choices that we make, that we don't get a pass in life of, well, you know, I can't control. There are things we cannot control. But there are choices we can make. There are choices that we can live into that start to create a different reality, a reality that is connected to God, a reality that is connected to peace, a reality that says, you know what? World may be falling apart around me, but I'm going to try to live differently. Doesn't mean we're perfect at it. Solomon's going to get tripped up a little bit, but he's trying. David often didn't try. And so here we get this sense, we get this sense that there is possibility that the choices we make can begin to add up to a reality that is connected to a peaceful God. A reality connected to God's presence always being there. A reality connected to love. But we don't get a pass we got to make those choices. we got to begin to build. we got to begin to search. Because here's what Solomon's going to do. He's going to be wise. And he's going to search out wisdom. He's not going to be like, you know what? I'm just the smartest guy in the room. And just everybody listen to me. No, he is going to search out wisdom that is connected to God. 1 Kings 8. Verses 22, 24, 28 through 30, and 54 through 55. This is 
taking this long prayer of his and, and taking different pieces of it. Solomon stood before the Lord's altar in front of the entire Israelite assembly and spreading out his hands toward the sky. This is the covenant you kept with your servant David, my father, which you promised him today. Today you have fulfilled what you promised. Lord my God, listen to your servant's prayer and request and hear the cry and prayer that your servant prays today. Constantly watch over this temple, the place about which you said, my name will be there. And listen to the prayer that your servant is praying toward this place. Listen to the request of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. As soon as Solomon finished praying and making these requests to the Lord, he got up from before the Lord's altar where he had been kneeling. With his hands spread out to heaven, he stood up and blessed the whole Israelite assembly in a loud voice. I totally recommend going to chapter 8 of 1 Kings and reading through the prayer. The prayer there is extensive, but here what we just read is the point is that Solomon is focused upon the people, that Solomon is focused in prayer, that the temple is to be a place of prayer and of connection to God, that it's a place where the people know God is listening, where people know that a blessing is being offered where Solomon is trying to create space for himself and others to be with God. Solomon is creating a very different reality from his father. Solomon is making choices that not only are shaping his life, but everyone around him. And so when we begin to think about that, when we begin to think about all the choices that we have to make in a single day of how do those add up to a reality that is connected to God, that is connected to peace, that is connected to love, that is connected to prayer, or are we like, you know what, I, I really, I don't got time for that right now. I got to do something else. Are we... Are we thinking, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy? Are we thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know what's supposed to happen. Like, do I feel something or do I not? Does it keep you from engaging with God in prayer, in conversation? Do we think that a reality of peace that is connected to God is impossible? Because somebody else is always going to screw it up. And here Solomon is like, no, we got to make space for this. We got to make space in our lives individually and as a community. That as a community, we can come together in this moment, that we can build each other up, that we are in this together. We are in this together of creating this reality that is connected to God, that even when everything is falling apart, even when there are things that we can't control, we can still go, no, wait. We need to be connected. We need a reality that is situated with a God of peace instead of that pain, that falling apart, those failures, what somebody else did, those choices that just keep eating away at us. That here, Solomon, the story, God is inviting us into a new reality, creating space, 
being in the presence of God in new ways. Solomon is creating. When we are creating, when we get creative, we are connecting to the Imago Dei. We are connecting to the image of God that we are all created within. That when we are able to create, when we are able to create towards a reality of peace, we come into a deeper connection with God. And so what is the reality? What is the reality we need to be creating. We need to start making those choices for. Finishing up with Isaiah 56, 7 through 8. I will bring them to my holy mountain and bring them joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their entirely burned offerings and sacrifices on my altar. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord God, who gathers Israel's outcasts. I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. So here we are. We're at the end. We're at the end of the story, and we've actually gone forward with Isaiah. So David, Solomon are long gone at this point, but Isaiah gives you the sense of what it means to be in the presence of God, what it means to be actually in the presence of a peaceful God. It says, right, I will accept their entirely burned offerings and sacrifices on my altar. But it started with, I will bring them to my holy mountain. I will bring them joy in my house of prayer. That as we are connected to God, not only do we find peace, but we also find joy that the choices we make, the realities we begin to construct can bring us into new realms with God. And so Solomon was realizing that. Solomon had learned from that. Solomon is focused upon wisdom and a new reality. And David realized, man, I got to live out these consequences. I am not the person to do it, but I'm going to help the next person. I'm going to help the next person connect to God. I'm going to help the next person know God's presence, that I may not be able to do it, that I may not be able to do it exactly the way I wanted to do it, but I can help somebody else. And so this sense of how God is calling us, how God continuously calls to us. Because that's been the great story throughout David's life, right? God constantly is calling to David. God is constantly going, not quitting you yet. Yes, that was some bad, very bad decisions. However, however, I've not left you. I keep calling you to make, create something new. I keep calling you to different paths. And here... We, hear, we get to hear that. We get to hear that with Isaiah. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples. Like God is bringing all of us together. All of us. And that in that moment, we get to know joy and peace. That as we begin to make choices, as we begin to construct a reality that is focused upon peace, and joy that is focused upon bringing people together instead of dividing them out that begins to say you know what the thing that I value most my priority is this connection to God and not that list of things I still have sitting on the counter of what I need to do and instead God keeps calling to us saying there's a better way we can live better that yet we're going to try, we're going to fail, but God keeps calling because God will not quit us. 
And so how will we allow the story of David? How will we allow this connection to God's presence challenge us this day? Is that the reality we want? Or does it just sound nice and it's like, yeah, but I'm really too tired to do it. How will we allow this story to come into our lives so that we might experience We might experience the God who says, my presence brings peace, my presence brings joy, and my presence brings people together. How will we begin to construct that reality? Not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. Amen.